It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And welcome back to Decal Download. I'm Reg Griffin, Chief Communications Officer here at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning with Commissioner Amy Jacobs. In January, the Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education presented its 17th edition of the Top 10 Issues to Watch report. The report identifies and analyzes key education issues Georgia will be or should be addressing in the coming year. And Commissioner, as in past years, the importance of early learning and its role in supporting the statewide workforce is included in the list. And of course, we were happy to see it included again, and we appreciate the partnership highlighting um, the opportunities and the challenges and uh, around early learning. And so we do hope that policymakers um, will definitely take a look at this top 10 issue. Very much so. Joining us to talk about the top 10 issues to watch is Dr. Dana Rickman, Vice President of the Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education, and Dr. Robert Gaines, GPEE Director of Communications. Folks, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for having us here. We're excited. So let's uh, sort of set the table by describing the mission and the work of the Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education. Uh, well, Commissioner, thanks for, again, thank you for inviting us and having us here today. And as, as you know, you're on our board of directors, the Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education. We're a nonpartisan, nonprofit advocacy institution uh, that we work on state level policy and local engagement to really inform and engage leaders to positively impact educational outcomes for students from early learning all the way through post-secondary completion. And we really view investments in education as an economic development tool for our state. We talked with you last year about this time just prior to the start of the pandemic and the public health emergency in Georgia. What impact has COVID-19 had on your work for GPEE? <laughs> well, I think that it has impacted us uh, much in the same way it has impacted everybody, both sort of short-term, immediate, and long-term implications. You know, immediate implications were that we went home and went virtual. And so as we're Zooming on this podcast, all of our work has been done virtually from our respective houses, but the, the work has continued. The long-term implications for us as we were looking at, you know, the impacts of COVID, the the economic downturn that came as a result. And then, of course, a lot of the social justice movements that have come up, uh, you know, over the summer is, you know, the partnership has always had an equity focus on our work. But we have really decided to, to double down on the equity and the root causes of what is driving a lot of these disparate outcomes for uh, families and children across Georgia and start taking a really hard look at some of those historic structural barriers that have been there for generations that are keeping us from moving forward as a state and keeping uh, large percentages of our population from participating fully in the economy and everything that Georgia has to offer. So Dana and Robert, normally you share the top 10 issues with media and state leaders with an in-person event held just prior to the opening of the Georgia General Assembly. This year, uh, you had to go virtual. How did that uh, work out for you? It, it worked out well. Uh, it was an interesting planning uh, experience. Uh, when you've got all those technological uh, wheels turning, uh, it requires, I'd say, more attention to uh, 
the technical aspects of hosting an event. But we had a great turnout. We had great retention throughout the day, which is sometimes a challenge when you have journalists who need to cover other stories. Uh, Reg, you were with us, so that was a highlight for me. Um, uh, we we had to cut the program by two hours because Zoom fatigue is a real thing. So, you know, you adjust, you learn what people are are really up for and you accommodate them. Uh, and overall, it was one of our one of our best events since I've been on staff. Well, I have to give a big shout out to Robert because, you know, that first week in January, there wasn't anything else going on for no. reporters to really think about. So, you know, it was an easy sell for him. <laughs> it's like Senate race, uh, change in administration. Uh, yeah, a lot of things happening. So I did miss the snacks and the lunch. Uh, normally we have this at GPB, which they're, they're gracious host and, and you guys are gracious host. And you can always step out for a, a, a nice, tasty snack. And uh, this time I had to go to my kitchen. That was crazy. <laughs> we missed yeah, too. we actually, amongst staff, we talked about missing the snacks too. <laughs> <laughs> Bottom line, yeah, it always comes down to the food for any, any event, I guess. So, guys, as you compiled this year's report, um, what impact did you see with COVID-19 and the state of education in Georgia? Well, it was interesting going through this process is, you know, everything is just interesting right now, for, for lack of a better word. But obviously, the delivery of education has changed, you know, since March, you, all, you know, the online and how students from early learning, again, through post-secondary completion, like how they receive instruction. So that that's changed. But a lot of the underlying challenges are actually almost all of the underlying challenges that we're facing our educational system that sort of came to the forefront that we're addressing in the top 10 this year, they're not new challenges. They have just been made harder, um, more urgent and more, I think, visible. And again, this comes back to the equity problem of you know, who has access to the internet, who has access to good quality instruction, um, who has access to high quality early learning for their children and are able to you know, work from home with two little kids running around. And so it really just for us highlighted in a very real tangible way issues that had always been there that we were able to sort of paper we as a society kind of paper over and say oh we're doing good enough you know and and it clearly is not good enough so you've got some fundamental issues that probably come up year after year but that's only amplified by a pandemic yes exactly yeah at the beginning of 2020 georgia faced serious challenges in meeting its workforce needs by 2030, research showed the impact of auto automation and the changing economy coupled with the current education level of the state's population put Georgia in danger of seeing 1.5 million of its workers and their children unemployed or underemployed in low-wage jobs by the year 2030. Let's talk a little about that scenario. And are we tracking better or worse than this time last year? Well, unfortunately, uh, the data suggests that we're tracking uh, worse. COVID accelerated a lot of the trends we saw in automation, uh, technology. And so what was a 1.5 million number by 2030, we're looking at 2 million people by 2025 now who would be unemployable. So you're talking about 500,000 more people, half the, the, the time it was normally, or we were expecting it to take. Um, and you look at the unemployment numbers nationwide, a lot of the jobs that have been lost probably aren't coming back, which kind of points back to the, the trend that we're seeing 
um, with certain jobs just being taken over by technology. So I think what we're seeing is uh, the circumstances are forcing the hand of a lot of the leaders, particularly in our state, who have the power to make investments in workforce, in the workforce and in education, and trying to figure out creative ways of getting folks who need jobs, the skills they actually need to be uh, employable and getting students who are in the education pipeline, not only to post-secondary, but through post-secondary so that they can be viable contenders in, in the economy. Mm-hmm. And the report says in 2020, childcare workers became essential workers in the pandemic. And I must say, I agree with you completely, but from your perspective, how did that happen? Well, you know, I think it happened in a very practical sense. Back in March of 2020, the the governor closed the K-12 schools, right? We were going to do schooling from home. Child care centers never closed. Uh, many of them did close, but many of them had stayed open uh, and have continued to stay, stay open and serve, you know, essential workers and healthcare and everything else throughout the entire pandemic. And so it, again, I think it's one of those situations where it was something that we sort of already knew and was already true, but it became very real to many, many families and frankly, employers um, and children and, and workers in the industry that this is, you know, to have a high functioning, high quality child care system is absolutely essential for, frankly, the rest of society to run, for businesses to run, for other schools to run, for people to go about their, their daily lives. And it just sort of became obvious to everybody in ways it hadn't before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think we need to continue to think about this industry as an essential industry and support it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I know the uh, report recognizes the work of DECAL through Georgia's pre-K program, quality rated and uh, Head Start collaboration. But you also say there's substantial racial disparities in affordability, access to quality child care and wage equity for early care and education workers. Are there recommendations in addressing those issues? Yeah, I mean, there, there absolutely are. I mean, one is is in terms of access, like you were talking about, that if you are especially a low-income person and then a low-income person of color, it can be very difficult for you to even find a child care center, uh, a center or home environment uh, for your child. They, as, as you guys know, Reg, that your know, child care is primarily supported by parent tuition. I mean, there is Head Start dollars and pre-K dollars and things like that, but primarily these are small entrepreneurial businesses that rely on parent fees. And so if you're in a neighborhood that has very low earnings, or if you're in a neighborhood that was hit hard by the pandemic and very high unemployment, those parents can't afford to pay. And so those centers have really hard time and quality is expensive. And so we really need to look at how we fund early care, not just pre-K, but the infant through uh, preschool as well. How do we fund? How do we support the workers that are there? The wages, especially in the infant through preschool, the three-year-old, you know, I've heard examples where trained toddler teachers can make more money working at the local Walmart. Mm. Um, And that is not a recipe for long-term sustainability. And these centers spend a lot of money and resources investing in training and staffing and to lose someone to Walmart because they can't afford the salaries. Um, Rarely they have benefits, long-term benefits, things of that nature, that it's just not an industry that's on par with the teachers in the K-12 system. Right. Uh, so we need to change how we think about the workers. You know, for example, I think we need to make clear, and I would advocate for that the 
people who work in the childcare industry should qualify for you know, early access to the vaccine the way that our K-12 teachers do. Because again, these are essential employees, they're open, the children are there, they need to be protected in the same way. Mm-hmm. Good point. You know, my wife and I used to say when we were early on in, in our marriage, we said we could always tell what our priorities are by looking at our checkbook. We yes. didn't, folks don't even keep a checkbook anymore. It's all online. But, you know, you used to kind of go back and look at your balance and you go, oh, wow, we ate out a lot last, <laughs> last month. Um, and I think that's true uh, at a state and federal level as well. Where are we spending our money? Where are our priorities? And they definitely need to be uh, in those um, helping those early workers. Some of the other issues addressed were instructional delivery, uh, parent engagement, post-secondary completion. On the instructional delivery, uh, Dr. Grant Rivera with the Marietta City Schools uh, spoke, and I enjoyed his comments uh, a lot. He indicated that virtual learning may be something we see even after the pandemic. I found that interesting. Yeah, I, I think one of, one of the things that we realized during the pandemic is that um, not all students learn the same way. I think there's a growing appetite for access to virtual learning opportunities. Uh, there are equity issues that we that we clearly saw with access to digital devices, also access to um, broadband. Uh, depending on where you are in the state, you may not have access to a, broad, a broadband signal. So there are some equity issues, but um, the bigger the bigger conversation really has been around how do we meet the needs of all students and if there's a snow day or if there's something else that were to happen, ensuring that districts have options for reaching all of their students is a critical part of ensuring that we close this equity gap because you can't afford to have students who are not learning anything for two weeks because uh, of weather or because God forbid another pandemic were to, were to happen. So the, the virtual learning uh, option is one that I think parents have grown to appreciate and to like, and to the extent that we can deploy some resources to really shore up uh, the inequities across the state, I think I think is going to be around for a while and people are going to demand it. Yeah. We're always stressing the importance of parent engagement uh, in these early years. What were your findings there across the educational pipeline as we move into uh, K-12 and, and really post-secondary? Well, I don't, I don't think anyone would be surprised by the fact that teachers... Um, or excuse me, parents realize quickly how much teachers do. Um, so when you talk about parent engagement, we're talking about the partnership between parents and schools to really improve outcomes uh, for students. And so what we've seen is that parent engagement can improve uh, student performance uh, with their grades, also on their test scores, and improve social skills. Um, we see reported improvements in behavior, uh, adapting to the school environment, uh, a greater likelihood of continuing into postgraduate education. So there are a lot of uh, positive outcomes when parents are involved. And there's even a stat that says 15 minutes of engagement around reading can provide substantial improvement for students' reading skills. So we're seeing data that support this idea of parents being a part of the learning experience and not being the sole responsibility of the school, but parents kind of rounding out this, this experience for students. So they're at school, they're at home and they're learning in both environments. Right. So important for children to realize early on and then certainly through K through 12 that it doesn't end when they leave school. It continues. It's an ongoing experience. My parents used to take us on um, what they called educational vacations. 
every other year. And uh, we go to Washington, D.C. or we go to Philadelphia and, and kind of continue to study things that we talked about in school. So um, all of those opportunities, even a visit to the local museum or the Atlanta History Center or whatever that might be in your part of the state um, is important. Um, you also had some interesting numbers on the number of Georgians with post-secondary education. I always find this interesting. How is that looking right now? Uh, you know, it's it's getting better, but it's not great. Uh, and, and I want to stress that all of the issues that we point out that are happening in Georgia are not unique to Georgia. These are problems that are, are pretty consistent across the entire United States. But I think Georgia right now, about 43% of our adult population has some sort of post-secondary education. And, and by that, we're not just talking about four-year degrees, like some sort of associate's degree, certificate, technical college, any kind, something beyond high school. It's about 43% of our adult population has that. Uh, but as we know, and Robert talked earlier about you know, the automation and the jobs that are coming, very soon, about 60% of our jobs are going to require some sort of post-secondary credential. So there's there's a gap there. The gap is now there, and it's going to just continue to, to grow. Uh, but our, our bigger problem is not just that we don't have enough Georgians who have these post-secondary credentials or the credentials they need to, to fully participate in our economy. The racial disparities are you know almost mind-numbing. Uh, how the, the difference between the percentage of uh, white Georgians versus uh, Georgians of color who have a post-secondary credential. And it's not just by income. If you look at um, people of color versus uh, whites, in the same income bracket, you still have um, a disparity in the ability to complete post-secondary. Right now, in Georgia and across the entire country, that your race and your class is more predictive of your ability to finish post-secondary than any kind of cognitive skill that you may have. And so when you look at that as a fact, that's a problem with the system, not with the people who are in the system. And so we really need to look at the supports that we have, the barriers that have been set up, the supports that can be made available to make sure that all Georgians are able to not only enter post-secondary, but complete the degrees um, and understand what are the opportunities, the employment options, and how can they fully participate um, in this economic growth that you know, even with the disruption of the pandemic, you know, Georgia economy was going strong and we'd like to get back there and bring everybody along. Right. So guys, when you compile this report, top 10 issues to watch every year, who's your primary audience and how is it distributed? Well, uh, this is going to may sound like a cop out a little bit, Reg, but I consider this a catch all report in the sense that there's something for everybody. Uh, from the classroom to the boardroom. So our audiences always include legislators, business leaders. Uh, we have superintendents who request 100 plus copies a year. We have individuals who ask for hard copies. We really do touch almost everyone who has a stake in education. And we're proud of that. So uh, we like to send it out to whoever um, can make a difference where they are. And we, we do that pretty well. Uh, we distribute it every year by email primarily. So we send out electronic copies to a lot of folks. But again, we do mail hard copies and we're fortunate to have the Senate and the House uh, in, in, in Georgia distributed for us every year as well. So every legislator in Georgia gets a copy in January at the beginning of the session. Uh, and for folks who want a free copy, we always are willing to mail one. 
on us. If you like additional copies, we just ask for postage for reimbursement. And that's typically how we get it out. And you can go to the website and, yes. uh, and view the whole report as well. Yes. Yeah, sorry. So yeah. www.gpee.org. Go under reports. You will find the last three top 10 issues to watch there. So 2021, 2020, and 2019. And if you really want to go far back in the archives, we can accommodate you and send you a copy of that as well. And Reg, I, I want to mention that while I would encourage people to read the entire 80-page report, uh, if they don't have that time, uh, that there, there are also one-page summaries of each of the 10 issues available for downloading on the website as well. You can find the report and the one-page summaries uh, right there at gpee.org. Yes. You know, our Deputy Commissioner Bentley Ponder is a big <laughs> fan of the executive summary. Which yes, I, I know. <laughs> I think says a lot. He loves the full reports too, of course, but uh, he loves the one-pagers. So that's uh, that's Most always- people do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's very unusual that we have breaking news on Decal Download, but we are excited uh, to share with our listeners some very exciting news. Uh, Dana, and that is breaking news about you becoming the incoming president of the Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education following the retirement, although I find that hard to believe, of Dr. Steve Dollinger, who uh, has led the partnership for 19 years now and spent 50, that's five zero total years in education. Dana, congratulations. I am so excited for you. Thank you so much, Reg, and I'm excited as well, and I have to say that I'm actually just very humbled to be following in the footsteps of the great Dr. Steve Dollinger. I mean, he is such an amazing leader, and you know, the partnership is just such an amazing organization that I am really honored to be taking the reins and very excited to keep moving this work forward. Now, I know you joined the partnership in 2011, and you've served as uh, Vice President and, and Research and Policy uh, Director. What, what excites you the most about the new role as president? Well, you know, as, as we've been talking this whole time, you know, since the pandemic, the, the partnership has really started to double down on this whole issue of, of equity and, you know, breaking down historic barriers and really re-envisioning education and, and moving the state forward. And so it, it's, it's an exciting time with a lot of work to be done, but I'm looking forward to just partnering and con- continuing these really hard discussions. Well, we are excited for you, and uh, I know uh, Commissioner Jacobs is uh, on the board. Uh, she told me she actually knew about this last week, kept it under wraps yeah. and confidential, uh, but now that it's out for everyone to know, I know the big uh, email went out today uh, as we record this as well. So anything we can do to help you in the new role, just let us know. Well, it's, uh, it's an exciting time, uh, a brand new year, and uh, again, we encourage you to take a look at the top 10 issues to watch from the Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education. You can go to their website uh, for more information, and Robert, you said if they wanted a hard copy, they can contact you for that? Absolutely. Contact me, rgains at gpee.org. We'll get you a hard copy in the mail. We're a little bit slower on the mail this year since we're not in the office every day, but it will arrive to your home as soon as possible. Very good. Always a, a great read. And uh, again, we encourage you to, to take a look at that. 
uh, online and find out more information. It's also a great time right at the start of the Georgia General Assembly because you'll probably follow along at home, as they say, in seeing the legislature tackling a lot of these similar issues that are uh, of note in the report. Well, Dana and Robert, as always, thanks for being with us. And uh, we look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day. Now a decal download bonus. Our Georgia Foundation for Early Care and Learning is helping licensed Georgia child care programs with badly needed personal protective equipment or PPE during the pandemic. Right now, the foundation is holding a daily $500 PPE giveaway on social media. Carrie Ashby is executive director of the Georgia Foundation for Early Care and Learning. Carrie, great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks, Raj. It's good to be here. So tell us how this works. We know that childcare programs really do need PPE equipment. This is kind of a a way to uh, extend that assistance to licensed childcare all across the state. That's right, Reg. So this is the daily $500 PPE giveaway, and it's powered solely by social media. So this targets providers, teachers, and parents. Um, You know, managing the giveaway on Facebook versus a grant application is really twofold. It brings attention to the childcare industry, I mean, and what they're going through on a day-to-day basis just by reading their comments that they're posting Um, But it also highlights the foundation and extends our network throughout the state. But, you know, to answer your question, it's really easy. You just follow, you go on the foundation's Facebook page, and then you will see each day a new graphic, um, day one, day two, day three, and they just comment with their, um, with the provider, the childcare program, a teacher perhaps, and usually they will, they will include just a brief you know, one to two sentences of why, you know, what this childcare program has meant to them or what this teacher has meant to them throughout the pandemic. Um, it's been, it's been really wonderful to, to read some of these heartfelt posts. And this is kind of a, a random giveaway, I guess. At the end of the day, you'll put all of them together and then draw a name, but we do want the stories of, of why they qualify and why we think it's important for them to receive it. That's right. I'm just compiling them into a big spreadsheet, which also helps me keep up with um, w- the foundation, just, you know, to keep up with our e-blasts and whatnot. Um, so we're, we're, we're getting new friends. Uh, but yes, at the end of the day, uh, we randomly pick a, um, a child care provider, which includes family child care homes and, um, and centers. Um, so we just announced one um, this morning and they were out of Ellaville. Ellaville, Georgia, the play zone in Ellaville. I don't know if I've ever heard of Ellaville, and I'm a Georgia native, believe it or not. <laughs> so that's interesting. So yeah, so you can read the stories. You can tag uh, a, a a teacher if that's how you know, or a childcare program, and uh, you'll be eligible. It's just that simple, and. You know, Carrie, like you say, a lot of times with a grant process, it, it's a lot of paperwork, it, you know, formalities, and you know this because you've done them before. You try to simplify them as much as you can to just as our boss, Commissioner Amy Jacobs says, get the money out the door <laughs> to the people <laughs> who, right. who need it, you know. So what are some of the items in a PPE package? Well, I'm so excited to tell you about what's in it because I mean, my basement looks like an assembly line at the moment, uh, but it's $500 <laughs> worth of supplies such as 
such as thermometers. These are those infrared thermometers. We're also giving them batteries to go with it. 1,300 disposable masks for adults and children in one of these packages. It also includes 18 bottles of hand sanitizer, 10 bottles of disinfectant spray, 12 packages of sanitation wipes. And these are the big industrial size. Um, we're also including huggy wipes, diapers, and then good old paper towels and toilet paper. Yeah, can't go wrong with that. You always need. No. <laughs> so who's, it's really an <laughs> who's helping the foundation out uh, in this effort? I know there are a couple of folks. Yeah, sure. Well, the foundation's board of directors first helped create the plan, but we needed a donor to fund it, obviously. Um, and so that's when a board member introduced me to Wellstar's vice president of supply chain. And I mean, really, that introduction was a game changer. I've never met somebody who was so willing to help, even during a pandemic uh, in their particular industry. I just, I couldn't believe it. But after a few visits to Wellstar's warehouse, the foundation had received nearly $15,000 of in-kind donations for Georgia's childcare providers. There was also a disinfectant spray that a lot of the schools use. They gave us a big discount and we were able to um, fill and provide the, the childcare providers with all of these spray bottles that Wellstar had given us, we were able to fill those up for them with this particular, that has no chlorine, it has no bleach in it. So it's really safe for our young learners. That's great. And this will continue through when? Well, we thought 20 days of package of, of PPE packages to give away and maybe perhaps some more coming, but what better way to cap this program off than ending it on Valentine's Day. And for all of you listening, Sunday, February 14th is Valentine's Day. So you won't get a colleague helping you on Friday morning to remind you that it's Valentine's Day for all those that have um, friends that may need a card or a hug. Right. Just a friendly <laughs> reminder to keep you out of the doghouse that Valentine's Day is coming up soon. So this is great. $15,000 uh, total in PPE supplies uh, to give away something you want to check in with on the Facebook page for the Georgia Foundation for Early Care and Learning. Just do a search on Facebook. You'll find them pretty easily. Uh, a green and blue logo, kind of a starburst logo there uh, that you'll see. Carrie, you know, the pandemic has been tough on child care since the beginning in March. And yet, uh, you know, it's something that's so badly needed uh, for essential workers, first responders. What are you hearing from those providers who have remained open or are reopening and and serving children and families. How's it going for them? Well, a common challenge that I'm hearing from providers is just the cost of PPE. Um, you know, but they have to have it to safely operate their childcare programs. And, but recently, I was told of a childcare director in rural Georgia who had driven to three different counties on a Saturday just to find supplies. And she went to one store and it would be out of paper towels that she needed for Monday. She went to the next store and it would be out of wipes and so on. So I, I really just hope this giveaway offers directors and teachers just a little bit of hope as this pandemic wears on. Yeah, absolutely. How can people help us spread the word? Well, just like you said, go onto our Facebook page, which is at GA Early Ed, and just find the daily graphic um, or for that particular day, share it to your um, to your circles. You know, we just want to get as many people to see what these childcare providers are going through, but also to really expand our networks and offer them a lot of, you know, just a, a happy. We're, we're sending out a box picked up this morning and 
sending out a box tomorrow morning. This is just going to be a lot of fun for the next 20 days leading up to Valentine's Day. And you could reclaim space in your basement. Yeah. That's most important. (laughs) Okay. But, but we maybe get, we might have some quality rated banners coming soon. I mean, it's a good, it's a good workable space. (laughs) Well, this is great and it's a super idea. So thank you to our board for the Georgia Foundation for Early Care and Learning. Go to the Facebook page, get involved. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Thanks guys. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, I'm Lindsay Erie, and I work in inclusion behavior supports here in Decula, Georgia. And my question for the commissioner is, what is your favorite part of Inclusive Early Learning Week? Thanks. Um, well, Lindsay, I'm definitely looking forward to Inclusive Early Learning Week. It's always um, one of my favorite weeks out of the year. Um, my favorite part is always visiting classrooms and celebrating with them and uh, reading a book about inclusion and social-emotional um goals and development. Unfortunately, that's not going to (laughs) happen. So um, I'm definitely going to miss that. But I understand um, that we have an original book for Inclusive Early Learning Week written by our inclusion specialist. So I'm excited to read that and provide that through video um, to some of our classrooms. And we've got a uh, special podcast coming up uh, next week with more information about Inclusive Early Learning Week. So If any provider is listening and uh, they want to become more inclusive in their day-to-day operations, good one to to listen to, I think. Absolutely. Lots of suggestions from our, our team. And it's time to give you a chance at winning a nice prize in the decal download quiz. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers received. Email your response to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. Here's the question. What does GPEE stand for? What does GPEE stand for? Thanks for playing and good luck. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.